Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Manuel Veth. And yes, I'm not Bryce. Um, Bryce is unfortunately not on the call today, but we have plenty to discuss. And helping me to discuss some of the things today is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you doing? Very well, Manu, thanks. Um, yeah, just the two of us for the moment. Um, we do have a guest coming on very shortly. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's been a, a bit of a quiet match day, but uh, quite a lot went on midweek, didn't it? Yeah, a lot went on midweek, and I think we need to really start with with Leipzig. You know, I feel I feel the wheels have come off a little bit. Absolutely got smashed by Manchester United. Um, I think this is a result that none of us really saw coming. We chatted quite a bit about it last week. We said well, on paper, I know football doesn't get paid on play, pay, played on paper, but we felt that Leipzig will have would have a very good chance against Manchester United, and we chatted a little bit about the united result after the podcast after the after the match on our chat and i thought we've seen this quite a lot this year and with the amount of matches back-to-back matches and i mean we are almost exhausted as journalists i don't even want to know what the players feel like but i feel like when the wheels come off they really come off now because that when you look at the result between leipzig and manchester united you see five now and you're like okay leipzig got smashed but really the wheels didn't come off until the 70th minute and it seems like when the wheels come off for teams now they really come off yeah they do it was a very strange match um because it was finely balanced at one point as finely balanced as it could possibly be i thought united were quite poor and yeah you're quite right who saw it coming i think i went on um on uk radio um about five hours before kickoff and said if manchester united approach this game um, and they're not 100% committed, they they could get beaten 4-0. Well, uh, that, that didn't happen, did it? Um, I think it was Leipzig that sort of came into this match, maybe not 100% focused. But yeah, you've hit on a really good point there. I mean, you look at across the whole of Europe, when the wheels come off, they come off. I think it's happened to Real Madrid, it's happened to Barcelona, it's happened to Liverpool, it's happened to Bayern against Hoffenheim. Um, it's happening everywhere. Um, and we had a real good example of this um and yeah on on the night it was it i mean it could have been more in the end i think united were lucky that maybe rashford only ended up with a hat trick because he could have had a couple more but yeah covered the game for footballstart.com match report um that's still on there and yeah i had it as a, a night to forget for julian nagelsmann and and his tactics really there's a few things that always struck me with nagelsmann and one of them is he does have a very flamboyant character. He does sometimes overthink his tactics. There was so much discussion about his wardrobe before and after the match, and he got really upset about that. But he almost um, seems to get bring that focus on himself, doesn't he, in some ways? And I do think that, although I don't think this was necessarily one of those games where he got it tactically very wrong, because, like, yeah, when his team 
crashed. They just crashed because like they played this really aggressive pressing and they kept playing that pressing until you know until they were looking for the equalizer. And when the second goal went in, they they just completely lost it. It's very hard to to switch to to kind of switch it over. But and I've noticed this also against Gladbach. They signed Solot right from. Um, Trapsonspor and Crystal Palace. Um, you know the the details of that transfer are very complicated. And then they signed Hung He Chan from Salzburg. And I feel like neither player are fully integrated in that side yet. And I think that's almost, in my opinion, the the thing that Nagelsmann needs to look at most. Like you know, um, try to get these players in because we were talking about before the last two games on how many different players they have. They can score goals, but I feel like they're almost them having to rely on all these other players scoring goals is almost like a big problem for them right now because if you have a team like Manchester United it just shuts down their pressing, they don't have that typical number nine that will just put the ball away for them right now because neither of those two strikers that they signed has been fully integrated. What do you think about that, Chris? Obviously, Timo Werner left and we discussed this last week. They've had such a change and they've had to look for goals elsewhere that I think had Werner still been there um, and had they signed the likes of Sorlot, um, etc. I think they would have had a little bit more time to settle in, but they don't have that luxury. Um, and they're asked to do it in a very strange season, a season like no other. Um, so it has been a, a bit of a bad week for Leipzig. I mean, you can still see their quality. The particular game against Manchester United, I thought they were outpressed at times. And I think United played at a real frantic pace, um, something that Manchester United haven't done. And I think Leipzig will be desperately unhappy because. Manchester United aren't in the best vein of form. As we record this, they've just lost to Arsenal. Um, they're not doing particularly well domestically, but they have pulled it out of the bag um, in Europe against PSG and obviously now against Leipzig. So it's going to be really difficult for Leipzig to qualify out of that group. But they, they do have the quality. But yeah, I, I get the feeling that it's unfortunate for Leipzig because they've had such a rotation of players. And at the moment, like we discussed the other week, if it takes them six to seven weeks to gel, normally, that's not a problem. But currently, six to seven weeks can be almost eight, nine games, um, which is a lot of, of of unsatisfactory results. You wouldn't normally get this over, over a standard length of time. But when it's all pushed together and the games come thick and fast, if you're not at 100%, then all of a sudden you've picked up one point from nine or two points from 12 where on a normal season, you're looking at six from six or maybe nine from 12. So it's a difficult one. I think Leipzig haven't become a poor side overnight. We're talking about um, Champions League semi-finalists um, not that long ago, 10 weeks ago, um, although it feels a lot longer than that now. But yeah, um, it, it seems to go wrong for clubs. And when it does go wrong, it goes terribly wrong. Um, and unfortunately for Leipzig, I think it's their week. Bayern had a week where it wasn't a particularly good one for them. Um, and yeah, I think it's Leipzig's turn. Dortmund, of course, have had their um, problems early on against Augsburg. Um, Gladbach have had their problems. I think we've just seen it's Leipzig's turn. But how they get themselves out of this hole, Bayern got themselves out of the hole very quickly. Dortmund seem to have done that. Gladbach also now have got themselves out of that hole. Um, played exceptionally well midweek as well. Really unlucky not to get all three points in that Champions League game. It's how teams come out of this rut and... For Leipzig last season, we saw when they got in a rut, they couldn't get back to winning ways and they ended up drawing a lot of games. So I think it's one to keep an eye on. But yeah, I think 
You, you, you mentioned Julian Nagelsmann there and his character. I mean, I've got absolutely no problem with the suit he wore. I think it's a crazy suit. It wasn't for me. But I can understand how it brings a lot of attention. And I think we've spoken in the past, Manu, about um, if you're like Hansi Flick, the manager of Bayern, you're in the background. You, you're not seen. You're not heard, really. You're, all your talking is done on the pitch by your players. I think Nagelsmann is, um, is a little bit more eccentric and there's no problem with that. But when things don't go well, people will look at your eccentricity and, and say, is this reflecting on the team? And that's just the rough of the smooth he's going to have to take. Yeah, that's, a, that's an actually really fascinating point um, that you, you did, the last point you're saying about Nagelsmann in comparison to Flick, because I'm going to wager this right now. And I say because of these little things that we're seeing with Nagelsmann, it's probably going to be very unlikely that Nagelsmann will ever coach Bayern Munich. Because they have tried that with coaches, right? And they experience it with the likes of Louis van Gaal, even Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti, all those guys. It doesn't really seem to work there really well. It's almost more about the players, right? And um, I don't. I think that is actually going to be an aspect where Nagelsmann, I, I, I think eventually he'll go somewhere else. There's been links again with the Chelsea midweek, right? So I think he's going to go maybe somewhere else. It's just his character is really fascinating. And I think um, it's going to be really fascinating because there's another character that's very similar to him and he's going to face him once again in the Champions League PSG, the team that knocked him out in the semifinal in August. Um, they're going to face each other now again this week. I mean, the games come so thick and fast. And I think this is going to be a really fascinating game because um, PSG, I heard today, they're going to be probably without uh, Kylian Mbappe who needs a rest. So... That's maybe a good game to get a good result and kind of dig themselves out and like maybe also, you know, just to get things going again. Um, fascinating matchup this week, Chris. But I want to move on to another hot topic, a topic that we had. I feel like almost like we sound like a little bit of a broken record when it comes to Borussia Dortmund. They they played Arminia Bielefeld. They they beat them thanks to two goals by Mats Hummels, who is unfortunately now also questionable for the midweek games in the Champions League. Um, but Dortmund are getting the results, but they were not convincing against Zenit. This game wasn't really that convincing either. There was some really interesting chatter today in Sky once again about Jesse March, Borussia Dortmund also in the news with Sportbild. Sportbild saying that uh, they're unlikely to renew the contract with Lucien Favre. Um, they're eyeing Rose from Gladbach. Marsch has been mentioned. Nagelsmann has been mentioned. Uh, is this just something that's going to keep going all year long? If you have, if you look at Favre right now, he looks a little bit like a lame duck to me. And how do you tell your players, okay, well, we might not renew the contract with this head coach. How are you as a player going to play 100% for this head coach week in and week out? And this right now, it is week in and week out, three games a week. I think Lucien Favre is a great tactician and, and we've said this all along. And yeah, I think I now sound like a broken record, but he's not a man manager, which I think is what Dortmund need. And I am going to sound like a broken record now because the spectre of Jurgen Klopp haunts that club. You know, the, the just the, the way he is, his personality, his personality off the pitch, on the pitch, his personality, his relationships he builds with his players, that tight closeness um, that it doesn't seem to have with um, Lucien Favre. And I read an interesting article, and I can't remember um, where it was, but it's definitely in German. Um, and it was, are Borussia Dortmund where they are now? Um, in spite of Lucien Favre, not be, not because of him, 
So he, he's just there as the head coach, but are the players, in essence, doing their own thing? Um, and I, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to rumble on and on and on. Um, I, I can't see him staying an extra season, even if they were to win the title. Um, I think it would... Paper over cracks would be the wrong word because winning the title would be absolutely fantastic for Dortmund. But I think the the hierarchy at Dortmund, Vatka and Zork, would look and go, if we can win the title with Favre and this squad, what could we do with Rosa, Marsh, Nagelsmann? I don't know if Nagelsmann would move because it's a sideways step that at the moment for me. Um, I think Leipzig have got every chance that Dortmund have of, of winning the Champions League. They've got the same chance of winning the league in the Pokal. So I think it will be a bit of a sideward step for Nagelsmann, although traditionally Dortmund's a, a lot bigger club, bigger name. Um, so it would be a step up in that way. But on pure footballing terms and financial terms, I don't know if that would really um, appeal to him. But, I mean, we've said it for a long time now. I think Jesse Marsh would be a great fit at Dortmund, not just because of his personality, because of the way he likes to play football. But also, and we have to remember whether we like it or not, football's a business. And his markability, his marketability, you know, his ability to take Borussia Dortmund into North America on a bigger um, trajectory, on a bigger platform, would be absolutely invaluable to the club. So I think he would fit for a number of reasons. But yeah, I think I think Dortmund, you're quite right. Dortmund just seemed to be like a, a boat steering its own course at the moment. And when it does get a little bit choppy, I don't think Favre can steer it the right way, like we saw in the Champions League the other week. And you're quite right, the results haven't well, the results have been okay. Um but maybe the performances haven't. But to play devil's advocate on that, you could also say that Dortmund are, are picking up points where others aren't and they're not playing particularly well and they're still winning. And, and is that a sign of a, a good side or a side that's just starting to gel? But yeah, for me personally, um, I think that we are seeing the end of, of Favre at Dortmund um, and an early exit from the Champions League, a drop-off in the league, I think would make that end come sooner than um, than April or even May. I know we don't see... Coaches normally go to the very end of their tenure if they're leaving. We normally see them leave about four to five match days before the end of the season. So I can't see Favre staying any further than that at the moment. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one for me too, Chris, because I think for Favre, in so many ways, the biggest match of the season, well, obviously there is the one against Club Bruges, right, in the Champions League uh, midweek. And that's a must-win game, considering that they lost the first game against Lazio. but the biggest game of the week of the week is the one against Bayern Munich, the the, the classical next week, and I think if if Borussia Dortmund want to have a word about the title this year, they will have to take they will have to start taking points off Bayern in the direct in the direct um, games. Right, it can't be they can't just rely on other teams doing it for them. I mean, Köln Köln got close to maybe take two points off Bayern. Hoffenheim have of course done Borussia Dortmund a favor by taking all three. But the problem is Dortmund would are the are the kind of side that would also lose two points in Köln, would lose three points in in a team like in a game like Hoffenheim. So I really feel like the title. I mean, it's so early. It's match day seven, of course. It's 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 way too early in so many ways. But I feel that game on the weekend against Bayern. That's a must win. They have to win that game. They can't. 
they have to get that three-point cushion if they want to have a word about the title. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think maybe Dortmund are fortunate it's not in Munich um, because I think I've said before and we discussed this before that for me, Dortmund play every but Dortmund play Bayern Munich the package when they're in the Allianz. They don't just play the 11 players or the 15 that get chosen in front of them. They play everything. They play the history, the stadium, the previous stadium, the fans. They play them all, the shirt, the badge. Everything weighs on their mind. I think at home... They have been a little better, but we look back to when the two teams clashed after um, last season, after the restart. Um, I thought Dortmund were superior for part of the game, but Bayern did what Bayern do very well. They turned the game um, in on, on the you know in, in the blink of an eye. It just changed with Kimmich's goal. Um, I think Dortmund are going to have to win this, um, and if they get a hammer in, um, then that you know could could see the end. Um, because Dortmund have had a poor Champions League result already. I think now getting a hammer in, in in early November wouldn't go down well at all. But if you look at the way the teams have been playing and you look at who's available and who's not, Dortmund have got a really good chance to, to win this match. Um, obviously, they will take any sort of um, mindset from their game against Club Bruges, but you would expect um, them to beat Club Bruges. No disrespect to Bruges, I was on a... Belgian football podcast this week, but Dortmund are expected to beat them. You know, with their their financial um, their financial clout, their the the money they bring in, the plays they have, the stadium they have, it is an expected victory. So Dortmund have to. I mean, it is a must win game because we we're going to look really at are Bayern going to win the league by six or nine points like they have done, or ten points or twelve points like they have done in the past. Well, there's six of these points up for grabs. Um, in two of these games and I think when the leagues are very close and they are normally a little closer than, than what we've seen of late but if you can take four points off your biggest rivals I think you win the league no matter what league you're in if Liverpool take four points off Manchester City if um, Marseille take four points off PSG I think there's a chance that those you, you beat your biggest rivals you've got a good chance of winning the league and that's what Dortmund have to do. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think Dortmund have to stop relying on other teams and they have to win those games themselves because Bayern get the job done. They did. They just get the job done. I mean, the good example was this week when they played uh, Köln and the the fact that they were able to rotate all these players that they have, the, the fact that they go there without Robert Lewandowski, arguably the best player on the planet at the moment, and they still win 2-1. I mean, it was a, it was a hard work. I watched this game and like, I, I thought this was probably one of the tougher challenges that they had in, in recent weeks. And, the, and it is probably because they get challenged every week right now, not just in the Champions League, but also in the league. I would actually say that they have it a little bit easier in the Champions League right now than they have in the league. But I think they still, they just get the results. That is something that I always find so impressive about Bayern. Even when they get challenged and even if they corner, they still somehow manage to walk away from a result. So... I think for Dortmund, that's going to be a key game. For Bayern, I think uh, if if they lose that game, then they know that, you know, by just keeping up the pressure, they can they can keep it up with Dortmund no matter what. But yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one. Really looking forward to it. Um, Chris, what I'm also really looking forward to is actually Bayern's midweek game in the Champions League against RB Salzburg. In my opinion, a local derby. But you know what? We actually got an expert on to discuss this game Um 
between Bayern and Salzburg, or Salzburg against Bayern, and the first game is actually in Salzburg. So I brought someone on from the other Bundesliga podcast, Lee Wingate, and um, this is what our chat was like, and really enjoyed this interview with him. So yeah, give it a listen. Long busting run forward here from Ulmer, and Oblak has lost it, and Borussia scores! What a start to the second half for Salzburg. And I'm joined now by Lee Wingate from the Order Bundesliga podcast. Lee, how are you doing? Hey, Manu, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, fresh from some Europa League action last night and, and looking forward to the Champions League next week. So, so I'm good, thanks. How about you? Yeah, um, good. Recovering, you know, we, we said off, <laughs> off air that I've been, I kind of feel like I spent most of this year either in rehab or in lockdown. So... <laughs> doing much better now but Lee I'm I'm really excited um, because you know I feel like we're going to have a little bit of a of a derby in the Champions League next week with uh, Bayern Munich against uh, RB Salzburg um, you know for those who are not familiar with, with the geography of of southern Germany and um, you know Bavaria those two cities are very close it is pretty much, by European standards, a, a local derby. I think that, you know, were it not for the coronavirus right now, there'd be plenty of Salzburg fans making the short drive to Munich. And, and for this this first fixture, there'd be plenty of Bayern fans making that, that short drive to Salzburg as well. So so it is a shame in that respect. But yeah, you're right. It is, it is a local derby, pretty much. Yeah, and there's a lot of historical connection between the two cities. Um, those who don't know, I mean, I grew up in Munich. Uh, Munich is is where... It's still my home. I still call it my hometown. And what's really interesting, without Salzburg, there would be no Munich because the salt trade um, led to a bridge being built across the River Isar. And around the, around that bridge is where the city of Munich grew. So, you know, that's a little bit of history right there. Without Salzburg, there would be no Munich. But um, Lee, enough about history. What can you tell us in about Salzburg. What we you know in terms of the expectations going into this group stage, we of course we all know that this is a, tie, a side that is very youthful. It's a team that has gone from um, ever since it's been owned by Red Bull um, to be a team that's really focusing on young players, bringing up young players, but also playing some really exciting football. And they were in the group stage last year, just about failed to make it out. You know that last match against Liverpool was very tight. What do you think the expectations? for Salzburg are this year? Well, like you say, they are very much the dominant force here in Austria. They've won the last seven titles in a row. This is pretty much unprecedented in the history of Austrian football. And I think their their dominance on the domestic scene is is pretty much, you know, it's it's established now. Everyone knows about it. And the expectation is every year that they win the league and that they win the cup. I think really now the the European campaigns are, are what their seasons are judged by. And last season, they got into the Champions League for the first time because let's not forget, they, they failed to qualify 12 times before they finally got into the competition. They finally got into it last season. And I think for the most part, they impressed a lot of people that, that hadn't seen them play really. You know, that, that game against Liverpool at Anfield was was pretty iconic coming back from 3-0 down to level it at 3-3. You know, ultimately, they 
they didn't go on to, to to get anything from that game. But you look at their 5-1 win against Genk as well, some of their, their games against Napoli. I think they, they did impress. And, you know, they're looking to build on that this season. It's a very tough group. You know, Bayern Munich, the reigning European champions. You've got Atletico Madrid, who are a big name in European football, and, and Lokomotiv Moscow, who aren't to be sniffed at too. But I think that the expectation is the same as it was last year, and that is a minimum of a third-place finish and potentially a Europa League run as a, a consolation prize. But even you know before the group stages started, they were they were pretty much thinking that there's a chance of, of finishing in that second place. Having seen the opening two uh, match days, I'm, I'm not so sure that's still on the cards, but never say never. Yeah, well, speaking about the first two games, I watched the first game against Loco and Fall. Um, against Lokomotiv Moscow and I, I, looking back I think that they, they should have probably won that game um, but the second game then against Atletico they were they really much kept pace with with a very I mean yes Atletico got smashed by Bayern but I mean a lot of teams these days get smashed by Bayern right around the world but I really felt like that's maybe the more disappointing of the results in some ways because like Against Loco, they were very good. And yes, they threw away essentially two points. But against Atletico, you almost got the sense that they threw away all three. So do you think that maybe with the first two games in this group stage, it's almost like, well, they don't really reflect the strengths of the side? I think they'll definitely be disappointed with the results, if not the performances, because that game against Lokomotiv Moscow, it was a little bit like their European campaign last season where they played theoretically the worst team on paper at home first and you know last season they got off to that storming start this time they didn't and I think that you know to get through this group they really needed to be taking four points off Lokomotiv Moscow you know they could still win in Russia but it was disappointing to get a 2-2 draw at home and then that Atleti game like you say they I think they they were really very impressive for large spells of that game. I think their defence tends to let them down. They've conceded, I think, in every European game since the start of last season. Um, so their defence is kind of a weak point, and I think that's what ultimately cost them against Atleti. But some of their attacking play going forward and just generally the spirit of the performance, you know. This Salzburg team, two years ago, got knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers on away goals by Red Star Belgrade. And here they are two seasons later, and they're disappointed to have lost against Atletico Madrid in Spain. So I think it shows you how far they've come, but the results are still a bit disappointing for Jesse Marsh. You, you kind of mentioned the defense a little bit with Jesse Marsh. This is, you know, living in North America, and um, they, there's a lot of attention being paid to what Jesse Marsh has been doing with with the Salzburg side and generally his work. And I know, Lee, you're a Borussia Dortmund fan. He's being very heavily linked with a move to Borussia Dortmund at the end of this season. But one of the things that they always criticize is his defensive aspect of the game. And is that just, you know, those who regularly listen to this podcast know that, you know, we cover RB Leipzig quite a bit. And so this is the same, similar kind of brand of football. But is that just the nature of the way Red Bull teams play this, you know, this extremely high press pressing all over the field, which also means that you play with a high defensive line and also means that you are more, just more susceptible to certain, you know, to whenever the other teams kind of find and get behind your high line. Do you think it's just the nature of the way Red Bull play or is this just something that Jesse Marsh needs to work on? 
I think a bit of both, really. I mean, we interviewed him last year and we asked him, what is your style of football? And the key word there was speed. He likes to do everything fast and attack fast and, and focus on those quick transitions. And that's all very well in the Austrian Bundesliga because they can still score five or six goals against a lot of the teams. And it doesn't really matter if they concede. But, you know, European football is just different entirely. If you want to be successful, you can't just rely on outscoring teams. You need to be solid at the, the back end of the pitch as well. And, you know, they've, they've tried to reinforce over the summer. They brought in uh, Umar Sole from Lyon, a, a very highly rated young defender. He hasn't played too much yet because of, because of injuries. And I think, you know, they're, they're still suffering a bit in defence. You know, my opinion, this is just my opinion, but I think Andre Romaglio probably isn't good enough to cut it at the, the Champions League level. And you'll have seen in the Atletico Madrid game that their goalkeeper, Chichan Stankovic, made a, 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 a bit of a howler. For, I don't want to say a howler, but he definitely made a mistake for Llorente's opening goal. So I think they're, they're probably two, two personnel weak points that I'd identify in the Salzburg team. And, um, you know, they've got, to, they've got to shore up their defence a little bit because Bayern Munich are coming to town. And with Robert Lewandowski, or what is it Thomas Muller calls him, Robert Lewandowski, in, in the form that he's currently in, I think that they've got a, a real task on their hands. Yeah, 100%. Robert Lewandowski um, broke yet another record last weekend, um, scoring 10 goals in his first five Bundesliga games. Um, of course, we were recording this before match day six, so uh, who knows what he's done now. But yeah, I think he's going to be the biggest threat. And I, I mean, you you mentioning two aspects right here that I've identified watching Salzburg quite a bit. And that Ramalo, of course, he is, is a defender who we know from, from Leipzig and from Bayer Leverkusen. Um, And I agree with you. Maybe you know this is this is something where they they, they do need to invest in. But how how difficult really is it for Salzburg to find key players in every position? You know because like their their mantra really is to find young players, develop them, um, and and move them on either to another team somewhere in the big leagues in Europe or maybe even Leipzig, like we saw with Dayot Upamecano, right? So is this something where when you look at this team and you say, okay, well center backs and goalkeeper uh, this is the biggest weak point and this is also where maybe where Bayern is going to say okay look we know that this is something where they struggle and we're going to target that yeah I think most of the young players that they tend to bring in uh, you know a lot of the you know their, their recruitment system is absolutely second to none in, in Africa but a lot of the players that they're bringing in from from African countries are forwards wingers or midfielders and I, I think that really their, their defensive recruitment has you know perhaps it's fair to say Uh, been neglected at the expense of attacking signings in recent years. Obviously, they have brought in Umar Sole, and you know, 4.5 million is quite a sizable fee to pay for a, you know, for an Austrian club for a, for a player signing. So they do have, you know, him. He's just made a return from injury this weekend. Only played seven minutes. I doubt he'll be fit to, to play against Bayern. So it is going to probably be the same defense that that played against Atletico Madrid and. I think that they're going to have real problems against Bayern because, you know, both sides like to, to play with a relatively high line when they can. But you just can't play a high line against Bayern Munich. Perhaps Bayern Munich will get away with playing a high line against Salzburg. But Salzburg won't get away with doing that against Bayern. So I am, uh, I think, looking ahead to this game with a bit of trepidation from an Austrian perspective. Bayern have lost in Salzburg before. 
This was um, during the Roger Smith Pep Guardiola era. It was, of course, a friendly, so wouldn't put too much weight into it. But it has happened. That's my next point, really. How, do you think, and I mean, you mentioned that high line. And I do think, and we have seen it, that teams that play attacking, uh, pressing football against Bayern do usually better than the ones that just sit back and, you know, hope for the best. Um, Hoffenheimer, a great example, the, a team in the Bundesliga that has beaten Bayern 4-1 this year. So this team is not invincible. It does happen, just doesn't happen very often, right? They're now unbeaten or they have a win streak of 13 games in a row in the Champions League, which is another record. But they are beatable, right? So do you think that, and I mean, I, we both have spoken to Jesse Marsh on, on a couple of occasions and you're quite right. One of the things that he always stresses is the fact that he wants to play everything at a high speed and really press at every area of the field. And maybe do you think that this is something where they could really endanger that high defensive line that Bayern like to play? Maybe just get behind that line um, and, and threaten them. Well, I think, first of all, you're, you're very much right about, you know, I, I did watch that Hoffenheim game and I also watched the, the European Super Cup uh, against Sevilla. And both teams really went at Bayern. And I think that, that that's something that they, they struggle to cope with more when teams sit back. It's probably really, you know, really quite easy for them to, to sort of pick them off. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, Salzburg do have a chance. Um, and I think that Jesse Marsh will be very conscious of the fact that if you look back to that 4-3 game at Anfield last season that, that I mentioned earlier, in the first half, they really sat off Liverpool and gave them too much respect. And then Jesse Marsh gave that quite iconic half-time team talk and they really went at Liverpool. And look at the pressure they put the, the European champions under just by going at them and giving it everything. So I think, you know, by no means is Salzburg just going to sit back in this one. They're going to try and get the balance right, I guess. They're going to try and, you know, sit back and be a little bit cautious, but also press and, and, and get at Bayern whenever they can. Ultimately, though, if you're asking me, do I think they, they have a chance? I would say probably not. You know, I don't want to be too too negative, but this Bayern team just seems to churn out result after result. And, you know, that, that Hoffenheim game aside, which I think was probably a bit of a freak result, they don't tend to really underestimate teams either. They seem to just be mentally ready for every single game. So, uh yeah, it's going to be a, a tough one for Salzburg for sure. You, you say that, Lee, but I think with the way the schedule is working out, I think that there is going to be every once in a while a result in there that is just doesn't make sense. I mean, we had we had results like that in the Champions League, like that Leipzig against the Manchester United result, for example. Um, there's a game I covered, and you look at it and it's 5-0, but when you watch the entire game, this didn't look like a 5-0 result, right? Because like teams press so high. And I think because of the, the amount of games that they play um, week in and week out right now, because the schedule is relentless, right? We're having three back-to-back -back weeks with Champions League football. Uh, in between, there's cup games, there's league games. Um, one of the numbers I like to, to say um, is like, 57 games for in 250 days for Bayern if they make it to the finals of all the competition. It's an enormous amount of games. So just to be mentally ready in every single game, I think that's really hard for the big teams. And I think we're getting a lot of weird results in some ways. Like Liverpool against Aston Villa is another one, right? Where they just got picked off for 7-2. And we don't see that in a normal year. I don't think we see results like that in a normal year. So I think that 
maybe the one challenge that Bayern will have, and that's where a 4-1 against Hoffenheim comes in and maybe a surprise for Salzburg comes in that maybe they're just mentally, um, mentally... Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuff with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Overplayed in some way, right? So that's maybe the one hope that you can have as a Salzburg fan. But I mean, otherwise, I, I, I'm quite with you. I think that if when Bayern played a normal style of football, you know, the same kind of football that they played um, in the Champions League tournament August, where they just picked off opponents at will, and even when they were challenged against Paris Saint Germain, for example, they just they just take their time and sooner or later get the winner anyway. So against Locomotive Moscow, it's another team that really really challenged them all the way, and they still managed to win that game. I think it's very difficult, but I think if you if you get them and um, you just can unpick them, then there is a chance. Um, and that's really kind of leads to my next question. If Salzburg do have a chance, and we all know the story of Erling Haaland, we know the story of Wang Chen and all these other guys that have come out from 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 that club, who do you think is going to be the key players um, in this Salzburg team? I mean... A lot of people already know about Dominic uh, Schoboslai or Patson Daka. Are those three key players or is there someone else that you maybe want to point out to our listeners? Well, before you asked me this question, I was actually going to mention that I think perhaps my uh, negative expectations for this game are, are, are because Patson Daka, like you mentioned uh, just there, is one of their key players and he's not available. He picked up a pretty serious hamstring injury in the game against Atletico Madrid and is expected to miss the rest of the group stages. So, you know, I would have said he and Dominic Soboslai are the key players for this team. Passendak has been fantastic for Salzburg since Erling Haaland left. He's really stepped up, 24 goals last season. This season, he's top of the charts again with, with six goals in, in five games. And he's going to be a huge miss. And, and that's now going to mean that, that so much of the pressure is on the, the shoulders of Dominic Soboslai, who has been a fantastic player, I think, ever since around May or June when the lockdown ended. He's really gone up another couple of levels and I think justified some of the the hype that surrounds him. He's got a brilliant, brilliant right foot. I think anyone that saw that goal against Atletico Madrid will be well aware of that. He's great from set pieces, scores a lot of free kicks. Uh, corners as well, he's very dangerous. And, you know, he he's just a... He's just a a very, very good player. And, you know, 
you mentioned earlier Salzburg's business model of, of recruiting these young players and moving them on. I think he's going to be the very next one of those that, that gets moved on. So I don't think we've got too much more of Dominic Soboslay to enjoy uh, in Austria, to be honest. And I hope that, that this season he can go out with a bang. Yeah, Salzburg's average age is 23.6, according to Transfermarkt, um, page you might have heard of. It's pretty good. But, um, <laughs> you know, listeners to will then think, okay, how do you replace Patzendaka? Who's going to come in and do the job for them? I mean, you have a lot of very young, talented players. Uh, Mergen Berisha is one that, that stood out, and some of our German listeners will know him. Karim Adeyemi is another one, right, um, who's a very talented young player. Um, who's going to come in and, and fill that hole? Well, Seku Koita has been really good this season, the, the Malian striker. He's been playing a bit more recently. Karim Adeyemi hasn't really played that much this season, actually. I would expect probably the... The, the striker positions to be occupied by Koita or, or Berisha. But saying that, I say positions, they might just play with one forward because in the game against Atleti, they played a 4-2-3-1 formation, which is, is very unusual for Salzburg. They usually religiously stick to their 4-2-2-2. Um, but this time, you know, with a, with a team like Bayern and, and knowing the danger that they pose, they might choose to to line up with with one striker. And in that case, I presume that Seku Koita would be handed that role. Well, that leads to an interesting question, though. Does changing tactics... We, we know that sometimes coaches change the tactics because of who they're playing, but that doesn't actually play into the strengths of their side. Do you think that is actually something where Jesse Marsh could maybe get it wrong? I mean, potentially. I wouldn't class myself as a, a tactical expert, but this game against Atleti, I think that, you know, that was their first change of formation that, that I can remember for some time. And perhaps that gave them an air of unpredictability. You know, everyone that's going to be analysing Salzburg for, for their, the benefit of their opponents will have will have been expecting a, a 4-2-2-2. And, you know, springing a surprise on your opponents can't hurt sometimes. Obviously, the, the negative aspect of that for, for Salzburg themselves is that those players aren't used to playing that system. But I have to say, from, from watching them earlier this week, uh, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really feel that they were, uh, you know, overly held back or, or, you know, too, they didn't look too unfamiliar in that system. So, you know, perhaps they'll give it a go again. Well, we'll find out on Tuesday, November 3rd. Lee, what? <laughs> I, always, I hate putting people on the spot like that. But if you had the tip, what's going to be your tip for the final result here and why? Uh, why? First of all, before I give you my prediction, I'll, I'll sit on that and think about it for a few seconds. But I think that the absence of the absence of Pats and Dakar is, is going to be a real blow to Salzburg. And I think that their defensive record in Europe is something that, you know, is, is really going to stop them from, from moving up to the next level. So I think if I had to... To give you a prediction, Salzburg usually score, but they usually concede too. It's against Bayern. I'll probably go 3-1 for, for Bayern Munich in this one. There you have it. Bayern's 14th win in the Champions League predicted by Lee Wingate from the Order Bundesliga podcast. Well, Lee, I think that Bayern are probably going to win this game too, but I actually think this is the toughest opponent in this group. And I, I know people will say, well, what about Atletico? I'm just, I just think that Jesse Marsh is... Um, has some personal reasons to maybe show that he can coach well against the Bundesliga side with all the rumors going around. But I also think that high press, I really think that high press and a positive game plan that he usually has 
is something that Bayern struggle more with than, you know, the defensive um, physical football that maybe Atletico play. So just my final thought on this, maybe that this might be a little bit closer than we think, but I guess we'll find out. Lee, it was so great having you on. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. And I sincerely hope you're right. I hope that Salzburg can spring a surprise. I am very excited for this match. And I think that no matter what's happening, I think it's it's going to be a really interesting watch. And I think maybe even one of the most interesting games to watch that match day. But yeah, well, Lee, we have to do this more often. You know, get the other Bundesliga guys on the Gegenpressing podcast. And uh, for all our listeners who are not familiar with the other Bundesliga podcast and not Austrian football, where can people find you, Lee? Uh, everywhere these days. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at other Bundesliga, so you can follow us there. Um, lots of content that we you know, we put up there from our, our travels around the grounds and as well uh, to listen to the podcast on Spotify and on iTunes and all your usual podcast places just by searching for the other Bundesliga. Fantastic stuff. Well, thank you so much, Lee. Cheers. Pleasure to be on. Yeah, Chris, it's always awesome to have the guys from the other Bundesliga podcast on, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They do a, an absolute stellar job covering Austrian football. And of course, um, them all being based over there as well. They're, they're real on the ground with all the teams. I know they work very closely with the leagues. They work very closely with the teams themselves. Uh, at pretty much every match that's going, they do an absolute terrific job. And um, I hope that our listeners also listen to, to their podcast because... There's quite a lot of players come from the Austrian Bundesliga into the German Bundesliga, so it's always good to keep an ear on um, who's where and who's going where. And it's not just the Bundesliga. Look at the, some of the um, places that um, Salzburg players have ended up all around Europe. So yeah, it, please do listen to them, and you know you can get their um, you can get their podcast from wherever you get this podcast from, and you can also follow them on Twitter. Yeah, please do. And uh, Chris, that's it for this week. So. Yeah, we'll be back with full manpower next week. A little bit of a different format this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, yeah, please check us out. We're on Acast, we're on Twitter, um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts, you can also find the Gegenpressing podcast. Well, until next week, tschüss und auf Wiedersehen. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.